Welcome to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. This program is produced to help women of color in leadership move from their zone of excellence to their zone of genius by eliminating any false upper limits caused by race, gender, culture, or their own inner critic. This program is dedicated to the legacy of Harriet Tubman, who held a lantern in the dark for all of us. I'm your host, ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach, Joya Jefferson Nury. Welcome back to our show. You know, I am a woman at the age of maturity. My hair is gray, and people think the foremost thought in my mind is retirement. I run a company that's very successful. I box three times a week, and on the other days, I do an hour of yin yoga. Despite that, my peers and some younger folks want to engage me in that conversation. So why am I so stuck in this cultural definition of my age? Do I not contribute? Am I drooling when I speak? (laughs) Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. Our show is dedicated to old chicks who know shit. Amen. Our guest is Jennifer Arthurton. And she is the host of a very popular podcast with that title, Old Chicks No Shit. I love that show. I love that title. I want a t-shirt. The podcast is a place where women over 50 have a place to express all that they are instead of focusing on all the losses. Jennifer is also a leadership coach for women of a certain age who are entering the most powerful chapter of their lives. Jennifer, welcome to Unshackled Leadership. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. You write, quote, all too often, our personal value as women is rooted in what we look like, the shape of our bodies, and even our ability to have babies. As we age and all of this begins to shift, it's easy to question our value and where we fit in. Please expand on that. Oh yeah. Okay. I could talk for, (laughs) I could talk for hours on this subject, but you know, like we enter that stage of life where everything is shifting, right? We are shifting physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, maybe our kids are leaving home. They're leading, they're needing us less. Um, in most cases, our careers are on autopilot. You know, we've become the expert at what we do and, you know, life is just going, going along. And then all of a sudden, all of this stuff starts changing. Right. And so maybe the career's not as satisfying. You definitely don't look like you used to. Your kids need you less. Maybe they've left the, the home. And so all of a sudden, you maybe st- your husband needs you and less. Maybe, maybe your husband needs you less. A lot of, there's a lot of divorces happen in this chapter of yes, life, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and it leads you down a path of questioning, like, like, what is my life? Is this it? Is there more? What do I want from my life? Right? Where do I fit in? Where's my value? Mm-hmm. And for me, having been forced to reinvent my life at the age of 50. So after finding myself divorced, unemployed from a 30 year corporate career, um, an empty nester and bedridden with a stress related illness, I realized that without the titles and the roles that I played, I had no idea who I was. Like, who was the woman underneath all of that? 
That is so interesting because I divorced at 50. Mm. At 49 and a half, I thought, if I keep this into my 50s, I'm stuck with it for the rest of my life. <laughs> but it also caused me, like you're saying, a lot of deep search on who I am yeah. and how much that was defined by my inner critic and who actually am I. Right. And it's a complicated place in life to do that. It is. Because uh, you're not in your 20s with this crisis of faith. You're in your 50s, 60s with this crisis of faith. Tell me what it felt like for you to be at 50, divorced, stress-related illness, job disappeared. Tell me what that actually felt like for you. Yeah, I mean, it really was a feeling of, first of all, there was a feeling of failure, right? Like, honestly, I mean, I looked around at the world, you know, all of my peers and friends, and I kept thinking to myself, how come everybody else has got it going on? And my life, it's all like crumbling. Like where, where, where did I go wrong? Because, you know, we're given the checklist of life very early and I have checked all the boxes, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, work your way up the corporate ladder, um, you know, somewhere in there, have get married, have a family, live in a nice suburban house, check, 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 yeah. check, check. I did it all. And I kept thinking to myself, but I did it all right. Like where, like, why am I here now? Right. And it was a, a sense of failure, but it was also a sense of loneliness yeah. and a huge sense of fear. Because the world, like the world of what it means to be a 50-year-old woman in our culture, um, reflected back to me from, you know, the mainstream is not, is not positive. It's not pretty. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 It's very, you know, it's basically we're fading into the background. You know, we're just going to go quietly into the good night. And, yeah. you know, there was a part of me that knew there had to be more. Right. If this wasn't it, there had to be something else. So, you know, I threw myself a big old pity party for a very long time, wallowing in the why me. <laughs> and really, <laughs> now I look back on it. It was also grief. Like I was in a huge stage of grief. I had lost everything that I thought defined me. And um and I'm so glad I actually allowed myself to go through that period of grief um, because on the other side of it was where I finally realized that like, okay, I'm 50, um, you know, I have 30, maybe 40 years left on this planet. Am I really going to sit around waiting for the end for like 30 years? Like that's absurd. <laughs> yeah, that is absurd. Right? That is absolutely <laughs> absurd. So you came out on the other side of it, um, you know, because a lot of women don't. Mm -hmm. A lot of women don't. They start to, and I, and I find it sad, they start to surrender to, I'm worthless. Yeah. Oh, they're not talking about me. I can't do that because of my age. Right. I shouldn't wear that because of my age. Oh, of course, there's some things you should not wear, period, especially in maturity. But they sort of think the dream is done. Yeah. That they can't dream, they can't reinvent. And that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's... I truly believe, you know, this crisis of faith that we have at this time of our lives is actually perfect timing. Like it's not, you know, um, like, you know, we hit the menopausal years and it's not like mother nature just dropped us off the edge of a cliff and said, here, go fend for yourself. Everything is shifting because we have spent our entire lives in service of others, in service of our careers and our families and our kids and being the great wife and daughter and all of these kinds of things, Right. When in this chapter of our life, it's about refocusing our time and our energy inward, 
towards ourselves. Like, what do we want? What's going to make me happy? What do I want for my life? And so this crisis of faith is actually right on time. Because in that crisis of faith, we strip away all of those parts of ourselves that aren't real, like the roles that we play and the titles that we've acquired along the way. We strip those away. And what we get is the core of who we are, like our true authentic self. And in that true authentic self is where we uncover our greatest gifts. And these are the gifts that the world needs. And see, I see so many women, you know, in my community, my clients who you know, this crisis of faith has led them to create incredible things in the world. Like I truly believe midlife women are going to rule the world one day because, you know, they're not starting new careers and businesses and charities because they want, you know, money and fame and all of that kind of thing, which nothing wrong with that, but they're doing it because they want to make the world a better place. They want to contribute. They want to, you know, leave a legacy. And mm. like that, like it's, it's, it's so beautiful to watch these women come from, you know, giving everything to everybody else and then tuning in to what's true for them. What's their passion? What makes them excited? What is it that they want to leave the world? Like it's, it's such a beautiful transition. It is a beautiful transition. And like you, I have some women in my community who have decided that this is the time to go out and make a difference. Yeah. To exactly. take the 40 plus years of experience and apply that to something else. I mean, I'm doing something completely different than I did for the first 30 years of my work life, but it is still part of all that wisdom was important for me to use to do the work I do now. So that crisis of faith to realize I'm not the bony Maroney I used to be, which I probably didn't like then either, but I, you know, my middle age spread and all of these different things, the gray hair surrendering to let it be, all of those things of feeling bad about those things has made me, I agree with you, has made me the person I was. And I have another friend who has started a whole thing where women, uh, she calls it primetime plus. Mm. It's women 55 and older. Yeah, I love it. Who, who write blogs and who are doing things and saying something and using something that all this stuff we had, and it's about having it valued mm. in the society. Yes. And so, you know, as you said, as you have written, we are not the middle-aged women that our mothers and grandmothers were. No. no. We weren't the children that our mothers and grandmothers exactly. were. So why, how could we be the middle-aged women that our mothers and grandmothers are? Yeah. So you also coach women yeah. in this. You have something on your website that says, create your own kick-ass next chapter. And all of Jennifer's information will be in the description on how you can reach her, her website. But when you're working with women... How do you start them to create their own kick-ass next chapter? You know, most of the women who end up in my community end up in my community because they know they want something more. They don't want to keep living the life that they were living. They know that there has to be something more for them, but they're struggling with, you know, what that is. How do I get there? How do I figure this out? And the very first thing I do uh, with everybody um, is about connecting them back to themselves right? Like that was a huge part of my own journey when I basically was, you know, too sick to get out of bed and my, you know, I didn't have anything to keep me busy anymore. Um, a huge part of myself was, of my journey was just connecting back into me, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like listening to my own intuitive voice, those little inner nudges that I had that I had always, you know, pushed aside. Like, you know, I think countless times in the five years leading up to the end of my career, I would find myself in a boardroom meeting, you know, kind of half listening to what's going on and thinking to myself, is this it? Is this all there is? Like, is this what I worked so hard for? Like, there has to be something more. It's like, you know, you, you reach this pinnacle that you've been striving for your entire life. And then you get there and you look around and you're like, this is it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, there yeah. Has to and be- it all feels like BS. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, wow, like this, there has to be something else. Like I I still have this like, you know, hole inside me that needs to be filled. And, you know, for the longest time I pushed it aside because, you know, a, I had invested a lot to get to where I was (laughs) right. Basically my whole, and I wasn't about to just pitch it all and, you know, and go do something else and B it scared me because I was so defined by the situation that I was in. So if it wasn't this, then what was it? And that big question was very, very scary. So when I got forced into that place where I'm like, you know, I was forced into stillness, which was the biggest gift that I could have been given in that time. And in that stillness, I was able to connect back with the, the, the inner voice, my intuition, like the thing that we all have inside us talking to us all the time. But, you know, 99% of us are just too busy doing <laughs> to actually listen to what that thing is. Yeah. And I want to pause you there yeah. for a second, because you said something that that a couple things that um, resonated with me and I want to ask you about. Yeah. You said you work with women and connecting them back to themselves. Yeah. But I found, and I think you alluded to, who was self? Because, you know, I was daddy's daughter, then I was student, and then I was a worker bee, and I was a worker bee, and a worker bee, and eventually I was a wife, and then I was a mother. And then, like, so who is this self I'm connecting back to? Exactly. So for some of us, you know, for some of the women, um, you know, it's, a part of themselves that they lost along the way. And for some of us, like me, it was meeting parts of me that I had never met before, that I didn't even knew ex- know existed because I was, to your point, I was so busy being, you know, the good girl, the good student, the good, the good employee, like all the things, right? I did not know who I was, like who was the woman underneath, like what made her happy? What did she want? Like what, it, what is the life that I want to live? And so spending that time to like connect back in with my intuition um, you know, led me to things like writing. I wasn't a writer, but then I was thought, okay, well, I'm just going to try my hand at writing. And then when I started writing, I created an outlet for all of this stuff inside me. And then I began to see, I'm like, oh, here are clues to who this person is, who this woman is and what's important to her, what matters to her. Right. And that became, you know, the building blocks of my, of this career that I have now. Right. So the answers that we seek in this chapter of our lives are already inside us. We just have to do a little bit of excavation to move some stuff out of the way, rearrange some parts so that we can see, like, what is it that matters to me? What is the life and the legacy that I want to live? It's already in there. It's already in there. I work with my clients a lot on their inner critic. Mm, That, that, chastising voice that created in the prefrontal lobe of your brain that's constantly judging you. And I am finding with my middle-aged clients the idea, I guess all my clients, most of my clients are middle-aged. I do have a couple who are younger than that, but 
but most of them are middle-aged. And the idea of moving from senior manager to CEO or deciding I want to not be a CEO, I want to be an entrepreneur, the inner critic beats them to death. Yeah. You know you can't do that. Nobody in our family ever did that. You know, you you can't do that projectory. That's too big a thing for you to decide. You can't save Africa. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's real. And, and it's, it's real. So tell me, did you have that battle with your inner critic while you were in this place of peace and quiet? You said you enjoyed that peace and quiet, but what was going on with your inner critic? So I think... You know, the inner critic comes to the table when you start to take action. So, you know, in thinking about things and, you know, in connecting with myself, not so much, right? I was just really focused on like, you know, what, what, what do I want today? And I would literally do the smallest thing. Oh, I feel like eating an orange, you know, okay, I'm going to eat an orange, like literally just building that connection in the tiniest ways. When I finally decided that I was going to step out and start old chicks, no shit, the inner critic loud. I mean, there are still days today where the inner critic is loud, but you know, I have learned now. (laughs) What does she say? What does she say to you? She tells me all kinds of things. I, you know what, now I give her a job to do when she pops up. I'm like, you know what, (laughs) can you go make us lunch? Cause I'm busy over here doing something. Oh, I love that. I love that. I have a client who takes her inner critic to work with her with the coloring book and crayons and sets it up on that side of the desk over there and tells her to go color and another one who takes her inner critic with her to work strapped in the seatbelt, but leaves her in the car. Yeah. So you give her something to do. I love it. Right. But here's the thing too, you know, for the longest time I tried to fight my inner critic and, you know, she's very, very loud. Like, I mean, she was Mm -hmm. telling me all the way along that I was going to end up like a, an old spinster lady with 15 cats homeless, like, you know, (laughs) because if I wasn't in the corporate world, that was the only way I knew how to make money, that this was going to be the beginning. This was the beginning of the end for me. Right. And, and I was buying into it for a while and I tried to fight her. And then, you know, I came to the realization that that inner critic is actually part of me, part of me trying to keep me safe. It's like that little part of me that never, exactly. right? The child. The child, yeah. right, exactly. And so when I came to view her that way and said, and then I could remind her that like, it's okay, I've got this. I know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So you Let go her know over she's here safe. And, right, you go over here and do this. We're all good. It's all good. Yeah. You know, but yeah. even to this day, you know, and it's been what almost eight years now, even to this day, when I take a different step in my business, when I start branching out in a new way, she comes back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's a normal, natural human reaction, but we've never been taught that like what our inner crit- critic is telling us is actually lies. They don't know. Well, you know, most of us haven't been taught to know when she's talking. Right. Exactly. We're taught when she starts to talk and we hear that as truth. Oh, my goodness gracious. Of course I can't. I just heard myself say I can't. Right. As opposed to saying what I what I use in my life is when I feel fear or doubt or limited, she's talking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there are two questions I will ask her. Is that true? No, it's not true. Probably not true. Yep. And if it is true, is that the only truth? Exactly. And then we can come to some kind of agreement. And then, and then there are times I go say, shut the hell up. <laughs> I 
podcast stuff to do Truth. here. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right. That's so, exactly. Those yeah. are the exact same questions that I, that I use, you know, but yeah. one of the things that I'm a huge proponent of visualization. So really creating a clear mental image of what it is that you want and like really getting into the feeling of having the thing, right? Like, you know, I can put myself in that scenario where I, I'm, I'm actually living that thing, like before it's actually happened. And when I can get into that state of visualization and connect back with what I want, it allows me to be able to take action in spite of the fear. Because as soon as you take the action, then the fear goes, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so right. bad, right? Right, right. And the other thing I tell all my clients is, you know, take the tiniest possible step in the direction that you want to go. Yeah. Because that's almost a little way of like, um, yeah. you know, fooling the inner critic. It was like, oh, I took this tiny step. It's like, oh, okay. All right. That was okay. Everybody calm down. We're good. We're good. Right. Take another <laughs> tiny step. And then before yeah. you look, before you know it, you look back and all of those tiny steps have amounted to something incredible. To eight years of success. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. So in this eight years, mm-hmm. you have built this coaching business. You have this stellar podcast. So as a woman of maturity and, and, and an old chick who knows shit, what is the biggest challenge you're facing when you are at this age venturing to something new? What do people say? What do your peers say? What are you hearing? You know, it's interesting. Um, there are two there are two camps that that I hear from. Um, the first camp is, well, you know what? Couldn't you not just like stay put? Like you know, you're almost at retirement age. Like the end is coming. Um, you know, like it's just a couple more years. You could do it. And the thought to me of spending a couple more years doing like life is short. Life is so short. And the thought of wasting you know two or five years in a place that I don't want to be. Waiting to do what? Right. Right. Well, that's, and that's the other thing is like, (laughs) what on the other side? Like, you know what I mean? I'm just going to, again, like just fade into the background. Like it just, it doesn't compute in my mind. Yeah. And the second camp of people that I come across is, oh, you're so brave. I wish I could do that. And that one makes me sad. Because we can all do that. And it's not about bravery. Like, I'm not smarter. I'm not more brave. You know, it, there's, I don't have any special secret or any special sauce, right? It's literally putting one step in front of the other, like having a clear vision of where you want to go and putting one foot in front of the other and right. just taking that repeated action. And I think it does take a commitment to the end result. Yes, And if we have surrendered to the mentality that at this age, I don't. Yeah. You know, people will say, I have a very dear friend. Her excuse is, well, you know, I'm 73. Mm -hmm. And it's like, "Uh I know that. The problem is, you know that. Yeah. And you've defined that as something, you know, I have another dear friend who thinks I should be more tired. Well, I am more tired than I was 20 years ago, but I'm more wise about the use of my time. But he has been telling me for years that, you know, you're good, you'll get stiff mm. and you know that you will. And I'm like, OK, but I'm not now. Right. 
And first of all, I don't want to hold that energy. I maybe that's why I box and do yoga. <laughs> that's not true of my body. My body doesn't doesn't respond yeah. like that. Yeah. It hasn't responded like that. I will admit to you in the audience, I took my grandsons to Disney for a week. And it was the, I came back more exhausted than I have ever been in my life. <laughs> I wonder if I had been that tired if I was 40. You know, I <laughs> it was imagine. like, I can't, it was so, it, it was so emotionally and physically exhausted. I don't know how grandparents take their grandchildren to I Disney know, World. Right? It's just like, what the hell? First off, they're crazy. And then the days are too long. The days are okay? long. And you're trying to get in and out of these teeny little things. <laughs> All yeah. day long. So I will admit that that comes with my age. I'm sure I had a different reaction to that than the people who were 40 taking children to Disney yeah. World. But it doesn't mean I go home and knit. Nothing wrong with knitting. That doesn't mean I go home and knit. So when you hear these voices, and I like, like you, I hear them all the time. I just want to scream, shut the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't. I'm a coach, so that can't be my reaction to some of it. But the other th part of it is, do you feel that that energy brings you down? You know, I, <laughs> I, no, I actually don't. And and you said something really important is having a you know a very clear end goal. You know what I mean of where you're going. And when you tap into your passion and you find that thing that really lights you up it actually pulls you forward because I can't tell you how many times, you know, along in the trajectory of my business where I've said, this is too hard. I can't do it. I quit. And I literally might quit for an hour or two hours. Or I might even quit for the day. But that passion that I have for that, you know, that vision for my life pulls me back in because it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, no, I can't. And, you know, there was one point early in my journey where, you know, the fear mongers <laughs> convinced <laughs> me that I was going to be, you know, poor and destitute. And I actually went back into the corporate world. You know, I took this job that was so perfect on paper and I yeah. got three months into it and I was like, Mm, no, not so not much. it. Yeah. And yeah. I had to extricate myself and go back. And so I think some, it's important sometimes to take those steps backwards to remind mm -hmm. you about why you yeah. want to go forward. But yeah, I exactly. literally can't quit. And doing what brings me so much joy and that ignites so much passion and excitement in me is energizing. Like if I was, you know, I'm not a numbers person, but if I was at a desk crunching numbers all day, I would be tired. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. when I do the work that I do, you know, with my clients, my, you know, running my mastermind group that fills me up that I'm like literally floating on clouds. I could go do anything. I can Absolutely, run through walls after that. Exactly right. Because you're doing something that doesn't feel like work. Right. And I think people retire from jobs. Exactly. Because they're trying to get away from something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or they retire because they're passing the business on to a child. Yeah. Now, that, that makes sense to retire that way. Like, okay, now I'm going to let another generation take over the company. I'm going to Bermuda and live. But to retire to run away from something says you were doing the wrong yeah. thing in the first place. Yeah. You weren't really you in the first place. You should love what you do. You know, you talked about taking breaks away from the work. I call that sacred rest. Mm, yes. I call that an important part of the work. It is. It's in my calendar. Even my yoga mm -hmm. is sacred rest. And my Sundays, Jennifer, don't talk to me. Yeah. 
I turned my whole house into an aromatherapy spa with the hot baths and the oils. And it's just a place where I cut off stimulation from the outside world. Yeah. Because I need that yeah. to recharge for the work I do. Because as a coach, you know, you're taking on a lot of people's energies. And if you're totally present for them, you're using a lot of energy. Yeah. So the exhaustion may not come from, you know, working in the factory, but it comes from an emotional, spiritual space. And we must have sacred rest. I think we must have sacred rest if you're 20 or if you're 70. Exactly. 100%. You have to have it. So it's not something that comes with, oh, you're old, you need to take a no. nap. No. It's just that it is just a part of honoring the body. Yeah. I mean, that is how I ended up with a stress-related illness was mm -hmm. not managing my energy and giving, 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 giving what I didn't have to the point where I completely physically, mentally, and emotionally depleted myself. So yeah. I had to learn yeah. that lesson the hard way. Um, and to your point, like, you know, I want to be in a place where my energy is good, that I can hold the container and that I can hold the space for those people who need it. So yes, you're right. Like I have to find ways to fill my own cup before yeah. I can give to anybody. And so my mornings are sacred, right? Exactly. I get yeah. that. Yeah. I totally get that. Totally get that. And I think it's hard to convince women that that's not selfish. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Then you cut them all off. You know, I cut family off. I mean, you know, if it's an emergency, they know to call three times, you know, um, but I need a space that totally belongs to me and it doesn't make it selfish. No. I don't take clients. Yeah. If you want, it's like the, the cliche of the gas, the gas mask, I'm sorry, the oxygen mask on your face first on yeah. an airline. Put it on you first so that you can be conscious enough to help those around you. Yeah. And yeah. So what do you do for your sacred, I call sacred rest. What do you do for that? Uh, yoga. Uh -huh. Meditation. Good. I spend yeah. a lot of time in nature. Um, mm -hmm. you know, by the water, like in the summertime, not so much in the winter, but in the summertime, I will hop on my paddleboard and go sit in the middle of the lake. And it's like being in an, you know, in a, what do they call those? An isolation chamber okay. or whatever. Because yeah, chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sensory yeah. deprivation. Yeah. It's like that because there's nothing out there. It's just you, the water and the sky. And yeah. that's the place where, you know, I can refill, but, you know, spending just, you know, I tell my clients all the time, silence, stillness, and solitude. Mm. like those are three things that we require. And if you're, you know, sometimes for, you know, you take what's available to you. Sometimes it could be 15 minutes, you know, in your house before the family wakes up, sipping your coffee and just, you know, breathing and connecting with yourself. Sometimes it's a walk into nature. Um, you know, other times it's a meditation, like whatever is available to you, you start there and start small because to your point, we're not used to that. Nobody, exactly. you know, we're so busy doing because we can't stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you give me those three S's again? You said silence, silence stillness, stillness, and, and solitude. solitude. And I, like, I take myself on a solo trip every year you know, for that purpose. Sometimes it's yeah. a weekend, sometimes it's a week, but like just being with me so that I don't have to answer to anybody else's requests for anything yeah, is just exactly. so critically important for me. One of my close friends just did a five days of silent retreat mm. at, a, at a monastery and says it was the best she'd ever done. Just to first battle the thoughts of the inner critic and then have enough time to come to the peace around it. You know, the first day, inner critic is like, 
what the hell are we doing here? Exactly. Get me home. <laughs> I feel like, where's Netflix? You know, get me home. We forgot to turn off the oven. All kinds of things. And then you actually can spend the last of that five, the last three, in silence, stillness, and solitude. At peace. Yeah. Peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me about your mastermind classes. Um, so I run a mastermind uh, for midlife women who are looking to live in their fullest potential in all the areas of their life. So, you know, career, starting businesses, um, health, wealth, relationships, all the things. Um, it's a peer mentoring group, um, a small intimate. Uh, there's only 10 women and um, we come together biweekly for support. Um, I am such a huge believer in the power and the energy of community. Mm-hmm. Um, having a group of women who will witness you, who will support you, who will, you know, hold your dreams on the days that you are struggling to, um, who will remind you of, you know, how badass you are, um, <laughs> allows us to all get further than we ever could on our own. Like what's the, yeah. what's the ancient African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yes. Right. Yes, um, yes, and yes, I yes. know that I would not be where I am today had I not been part of, you know, supportive communities of women. Good girlfriends. Yes. And for Good me, it wasn't so much my girlfriends because they weren't in the same place. Like I felt very alone, first of all, uh, you know, in doing what I was doing because everybody else was off doing their own career. So in my immediate s- circle of girlfriends, we're not relating. And that was, that felt very lonely. And I find this a lot where women are maybe stepping out of their peer group to do something different, feeling alone in it and finding other like-minded women who are on the same journey as you is probably the most powerful thing that you could do for yourself. You know, even, you know, absolutely. This year, I committed to going back to in-person yoga classes because I fell off the wagon in COVID and I struggled to get back on. And, you know, like I, I do yin um, because my body needs it. I'm, I lift heavy weights in the gym and I need the, the balance on the other side yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, right? and stretch. Yeah. And here's the thing. I have signed up for so many online yoga classes that I have not done. Uh, Putting yourself in the room, like energetically from a commitment standpoint, is so, so important. So last, in fact, two days ago, I was in a yin yoga class and every part of my body was screaming at me to like, let go. And I looked around the room and I was like, okay, all of these people are doing it. I can do this. And I eased up on the pose a little bit, but then I, you know, sat in it and I was like, at the end of it, I was like, oh, thank goodness I did that. Had yeah. I been at home by myself, I would have been. You'd have given up, gone, got coffee. Exactly. Oh, look, <laughs> checked your email. He's under the couch. Let me go clean them, right? You're right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is so true. And it is the accountability yes. of being in a group. I, I was trying to work out at home and I realized I was doing okay, but I don't do as well as when I get out. No, it's so The peer true. pressure, the coach being there, you know, the yeah. teacher instructor being there um, is so important to pushing yourself to the sweat. Exactly. To the, the internal sweat or the external sweat, whatever your body does. And so I have an upcoming podcast on the power of good girlfriends. Mm-hmm. I do have a group, a small group of friends. Some of us have been together. One of us has been together since 1968. Mm, wow. The other ones, we started in 1977. And we're going to do a podcast on how we... We're all doing different things. We're all at different phases in our careers. One of us is 
two of them are completely retired, but also busy. And the other one is went back and got a PhD in her mid-60s. Love that. (laughs) Love her, right? So we're going to talk about the power of that community. Yeah. Whether it's good girlfriends, good male friends, a mastermind. Yeah. Like like you have the power of being a part of that. So important. You know, um, you you have three questions on your website that I thought were very poignant. Am I too old for my dreams? Will I be taken seriously? Is it too late for me to start over? So let's start with the first one. When someone asks the question, am I too old for my dreams? You know, um, our dreams and desires are not random. They are parts of us wanting to be expressed. And, you know, it's never too late to honor who we are, like to honor ourselves, right? You know, if our desire was to become a motorcycle stunt rider, like maybe we don't go all the way there at age 80, but maybe or we Miss get America. To that. Right, right. Or <laughs> maybe we get close to that. Like, or maybe, you know, I learned to ride a motorcycle in my seventies and it leads me to something else that's even more like, it's really honoring the soul of who we are because those desires are not random. They're parts of us and it's mm-hmm. never, ever, ever too late. I mean, I interview women on the podcast all the time. I podcast all the time. And, you know, there's women in their 70s and 80s. One woman was in her mid-70s on her third business, like completely different than any of the other business that she's done. Another woman launched a, it turned out to be a $100 million jean brand at the age of 66. Like, wow. Hundred million wow. dollar brand. I love her. Yeah, I love her. Exactly. I love her. So love her. there are. It's never too late. Like you know, yeah. time is. You know, time. So leads us to the next question: Will I be taken seriously? You'll be taken as seriously as you take yourself. Right, because only you. Like if if you allow other people's if you allow other people's opinions to sway you or you fear judgment. Right? Or your inner critic. Or your inner critic. You're just holding yourself back. I mean, I just read um, a study that was a research study that was done out of Cornell University. I think it was in 2019 or 2020 that said that 76% of people regretted at the end of their lives, 76% of people regretted not following their dreams and passions, that they focused on their to-do lists and not what they actually wanted to do. That's a huge percentage. Huge percentage. Yeah. Mm. And that's a cautionary tale. That is a cautionary what, tale. What will, your fe- what will your future self say if you don't do this? Exactly. Yeah. And the third question, which you've answered, but I'd like you to answer it formally here. Is it too late to start over? <laughs> Again, it's never too late to start over because... You know, like we were never meant to be the same person from the beginning to the end of our lives. Like, I don't know where we got that idea, but we are supposed to change and grow and morph, right? And allowing ourselves to do that, in my mind, is about allowing ourselves the full experience of this life that we have. Like, I would hate to think, you know, that I end up, you know, on my deathbed having not done the things that I wanted to do, like having not gone to the places that I want to go right? There's, it's, life is such a gift. And yeah. for some reason we have this feeling like it goes on forever and I'll, I'll yeah. get to that thing or, you know, one day. 
And that's simply not true. Like my mother died at age 56. I'm now 58. So I'm hyper aware of the years that I have been gifted that she didn't get to have. Yeah. I'm now older than my mother lived. Yeah, exactly. I'm coming up on being older than my father lived. Right. But my grandmother, my maternal grandmother lived to 96. Yes. And her mother lived to 111. So I'm leaning into that. You got some good genes there. I got some good genes there. Okay, I got some good genes there. And and my, my grandmother at 96, her body had failed, but not her mind. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, maybe by 91, but maybe by 96, the mind was going also. But my goal, is, Jennifer, I have two grandsons thus far, nine and three. I want to live until they're adults. Because first off, they're a little wacky right now. So I want to see how this turns <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, I want to see how this turns out. So that puts me into my late 90s. Mm. Okay. So on, on the way to seeing them as adults, I want something fun to do. And I'm doing this. That's amazing. And I want to be of service to women of color. And I'm doing this. So amazing. And I get to talk to you on podcasts. And I think that this is an amazing life. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it's it? amazing Honestly, life. getting to have incredible conversations with amazing people and then sharing them with others, to me, like there is nothing better. There's nothing better than that. I'm like, who would call this work? Exactly. <laughs> is it, who would call this work? Exactly. Jennifer Arthurton, I really want to thank you for joining us because I always knew it. But when I saw the name of your podcast... <laughs> old chicks know shit. I'm like, oh, who is she? And I want to know her. I want to know her. (laughs) And so thank you for joining us. If there was anything you wanted to leave with a 50, 60, 70 year old woman who thinks she's at the end, what would you say to her? I, you know, first of all, I would say, you know, we're close to the end, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, we don't, first of all, we don't even know where the end is, but what we can do is make the most of every single solitary day to get the most life that we can get out of, out of this lifetime. And, you know, some days that might mean going for a walk and other days it means doing incredible things, but it's about living life on our terms and honoring ourselves. Like most important is to honor ourselves. So if there, if you have or a dream or a desire, you owe it to yourself to explore that. Exactly. Yes. Jennifer Arthurton, thank you so very much. Her podcast is Old Chicks No Shit. Obviously, I've said it 27 times because <laughs> I love the phrase. I'm telling you if, you, if you sell T-shirts, I'm going for it, okay? They're coming. So, okay, okay, good, good, good. So all of her contact information is in the description here in this podcast. And we want to thank you once again for joining us here on Unshackled Leadership. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Unshackled Leadership, a Lantern for Black Women. I want to thank the people who make this all possible, beginning with our senior producer, India Tisdale of It Takes Pure Effort Consulting. And our program editor is Grammy Award nominated singer and obviously extraordinary editor, Carolyn Malachi. 
Dominika Eldridge of Unique Creatives created our phenomenal artwork. And Hotham of HothamMusic.com created the theme song that you listen to every single show. Again, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you will be here for our next episode. Peace and blessings.